we are starting the first of four parts going through the book of Jonah. Now, the book of Jonah probably brings to mind a couple things, or maybe specifically one thing, because there's this kind of broader cultural consciousness that we have. It's one of those top 10 stories of the Bible. Like, if you ask somebody that has never really even read the Bible, hey, what's in the Bible? This is probably one of those stories that they're going to think of and spout back, oh, isn't there something about a guy and a whale or something like that? Yeah, okay. Uh, but before you dismiss this as a story for kids' coloring books or a story for a little kid's uh, Sunday school lesson and think, well, I'm an adult, this isn't for me, keep this in mind. This story not only made its way into the Bible, but this has maintained an impact across various cultures, across the globe for millennia. There's a reason for that. It's not because this is just a nice little kid's story, ha-ha, but there's something that's more profound and more important than that that goes way beyond it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the story. And I'm going to help us kind of illuminate and understand maybe some of the stuff that's going on in the background. But what I want you to do as we go through the story is not just to, and this is kind of how you understand narrative in general, uh, it's not to say, well, uh, Jonah did this, therefore I'm supposed to do that. No, 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 no. That's not how you read the Bible, typically. You, you should look at it and say, okay, this is what's happening. Is that, what I, is that how I would react? What would I do? What would I be feeling if I was in his situation? How would I respond if God told me to do this thing or that thing? And once you put yourself in that situation, of course, you learn more about yourself. You learn a lot about the character that's being told in that story. And most of all, you learn a lot about God. And that's our hope in this, is to see what God's hope has been for Jonah, and then how we kind of import that to today. So there's a few ways. As you get into the book of Jonah, you know, preliminary stuff, there's questions of how to read it. How do you read the book of Jonah? Is it this work of literal history? And some people spend a lot of time on the fish thing, because they think that that's a really important thing to fixate on. Now, and spoiler alert, he gets swallowed by a fish if you didn't know that. Now you know, right? The, the, he, they, they focus so much on that. And the problem with that is that the author of Jonah doesn't really spend much time. Two verses, that's it. There's not much time spent on the fish. Why? Well, because it's not that big of a deal. He's telling a story here. Don't get caught up in some of that stuff. And some people are like, well, it's impossible for somebody to get swallowed by a fish and live for three days. Well, okay, that sounds like fairly accurate. I don't want to get swallowed by a fish and test that theory out. So... Who is God? Well, God's the creator of the universe. God raised Jesus from the dead. Do you think God could, could, could he? I don't know, maybe. Like keep somebody alive for three days in the belly of a fish? Oh, yeah, I mean, if he can do all this other stuff, sure. Okay, well then, let's just go with it. Let's just go with it. Whether you think it's literal truth, whether you think it's a historical narrative uh, that, to tell a point, a parable, doesn't really matter at the end of the day. What you want to do is you want to understand what makes this scripture. Why is this something that is so important that people have preserved it for thousands of years? The other way of reading this is through the lens of prophecy. Now, prophecy, as we've talked about earlier this year when we went through the book of Jeremiah, is not about prediction as so much of us and I think kind of the culture assume 
prophecy functions. Oh, it's a way of predicting the future. No, no, no. It's a way of proclaiming God's reign on the earth, that God is the one that's in charge. And so God goes to a prophet and says, hey, you, I want you to go do this with those people. Tell them this, okay? And then the prophet responds, oh, God, holy cow. Yeah, okay, I'll go do that thing that you asked me to do. And that's how prophecy typically works. And that's another way that we can read through uh, the book of Jonah. The one that I find most helpful, though, and this is the one that as I've studied and as I've gone through uh, the years of reading it and kind of asking these questions, is reading it through the lens of satire. I love satire. And one, the only thing I love more than satire is being on the internet and watching people post satire news links as if they're true. Can you believe it that somebody, and there's this whole, uh, if you're familiar with The Onion, the, the satire news site, uh, there's a whole like page devoted to people who ate the onion. They, they actually believed the story that they were trying to tell. It's clever, it's witty, it's a way of subverting your expectations of how the story is supposed to go and to tell you something that's true despite all that. And so the way that we're going to kind of read through Jonah is through the lens of satire. We're going to understand the way that God is trying to speak, well, the message God is trying to proclaim through this guy is by telling him something and leading him into place and him responding in a particular way that you might not expect. And here's the beautiful thing, is we're going to find a God in the book of Jonah that is unlike the God that I think so many people believe is the God we come to worship. Rather, we're gonna find the God that even when we disobey, even when we make mistakes, even when we screw up willingly, we find the God who still meets us and is still at work and still doing everything he can to accomplish his purposes. So, we're gonna dig in in verse one of Jonah chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. Now, this is very typical prophet talk, right? This is exactly what you're supposed to do. God says to somebody, hey, I have this message. I need you to go here and do this thing. Now, the prophet Jonah, the person who's being called out, is actually mentioned in the Bible in different, uh, one different spot. Second Kings, I believe, second, yeah, Second Kings chapter 14. He's only mentioned one time, and it's really briefly. And what he's doing in, in that passage is he's actually going to a king who's a, not a good king at all, but he's in good favor, this good king, which tells you about him. Like, if there's a bad guy, and that bad guy really likes you, Hmm, that's not a good sign about your character, right? So first off, there's this Jonah guy in 2 Kings 14 who the king, bad king really likes, and he's telling the king all the sweet nothings. Ah, you should absolutely send your army out. We need to expand our grounds. After all, we are God's chosen people, and, and, and there's no way that we will lose and all that. Meanwhile, there's another prophet, same time period. His name's Amos, who actually has a book of the Bible called Amos. Amos is there, and he's telling the king, no, don't do this. Now, one of those is a real prophet. Amos is the real prophet. He's the one that's telling the truth. Jonah is there just, he's, well, it's okay. So what do we pick up from 2 Kings? We pick up that he's not a good guy. He's, he's a bad, in fact, what he cares at the very best, he is indifferent to the needs of the people that are outside of his community, outside of his nation's boundaries. At worst, 
He's racist. At worst, he's like, we don't need to mess with those people because they are not like us. And so people have looked at Jonah and said, okay, this guy, he's got problems. He's a very, very problematic figure from 2 Kings. And then you get into this, path, this book and you see, okay, this makes more sense. Why would they use this guy as the, the storyteller, the one to understand this? Uh, it makes a lot of sense. So Nineveh, the city, is in Assyria. Now, it doesn't say Assyria in the passage, but everybody would have known Nineveh is Assyria. And if you're an uh, Israelite back then, then you would have heard Nineveh, you would have thought Assyria, and you would have thought terrible, terrible things. Brutal. Like these, these Assyrians are people that did not just torture the men that they caught in war, they tortured the women and children as well. These are people that cut off fingers, they cut off noses, they'd carve out lips, cut off hands. They do terrible things. It's even said that they uh, would skin the people that they caught and put their skins on the city wall so that if you were to go into a place like Nineveh, you, well, you'd see the heads on stakes as you walked in and pale bodies, maybe people still screaming, and you'd see the skins of others. So you can think, when God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh, oof, do you really want to go help these people? Like, it's, it, you'd kind of understand the distaste he would have in his mouth toward these people. And already we know that Jonah already has this disposition of he doesn't like people who are not like him. He wants to expand, but not in like a loving way. He wants to expand in a way so that he can kill and exclude other people. So God tells Jonah, an unlikely prophet to call on, go east into Nineveh. Now, when he does that, he wants them to come back to him. He says, go east to my people in Nineveh and bring them back. Help, me find, help them find goodness and life and prosperity, all these good things. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And like all the prophets uh, before him and after him, Jonah has his excellent response. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. <laughs> so first off, right there, you know this is not going to go the way you think. You know that if God says go east and he goes west, God says go over land and he goes over water, you know that this is not going to be a story like all the other prophets who came before him. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, we don't know where Tarshish is. It's really not that important other than it was thought of in the just popular mind back in the 7th century BC that it was as far west as you could possibly go. It was the end of the earth. So God's like, hey, go a few days this way. And Jonah's like, ha, great idea, God. I'm going to go literally to the end of the earth until it stops over that way. <sighs> then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose and the ship, that the ship uh, threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. The sea is enraged. The sailors are crying out each to their own God because they don't know Jonah's God. How would they know Jonah's? Because they're not Jonah's people. Uh, they only know their pagan gods. And all of this happens because of Jonah's disobedience. So the sea is going crazy. Everything's going crazy. Uh, uh, cargo's being tossed overboard. Things are not looking good. 
Now, I don't know much about sailors, but I know a couple things. Number one is there's that phrase, uh, talks like a sailor, curses like a sailor, bad words, right? Sailors, in, again, in ancient times, weren't really thought of as like moral paragons, right? So I know that, okay, there's kind of that much. And then here's what I also know. I'm from the cornfields of Indiana. You put me on the water, I'm freaking out, man. It, now, you put a tornado somewhere around me, I'm walking outside and I'm watching. I'm like, oh, let's, let's see this. Whereas maybe somebody that's from the sea might think, oh my gosh, tornado, go duck and cover. Not sure if it gets close enough, do that. Uh, to those of you watching in the Midwest, do that if that happens. For us out here, whatever, it's not really a thing. But the, uh, I know how to deal with land issues. I don't know how to deal with water issues. Now flip that around. You have a sailor who knows how to deal with water issues, and they start freaking out. We just had a bad storm here, right? If you didn't notice, there's that toothpick sticking up in our uh, parking lot over there because it just got snapped right in half. Uh, we drove a uh, 10-miles round trip on Friday right during that storm, and it took us just under two hours to go. It was just on cactus, too. Like, it was not like a crazy, long, out-of-the-way drive. Two hours it took us. Uh, it's pretty crazy, and you see all the water flowing. Storms like that are awesome to watch when you're at home. When you're out on the road, when you're living your life, not so much fun. Now take that and magnify it like 10 times and now put yourself on a boat in the 7th century BC in the Mediterranean Sea. This is not going to be something that you would feel very comfortable with, I'm guessing, because these sailors, these people that know how to face fear, are losing their minds. And if these guys are losing their minds and I'm on the boat, I'm like, oh my gosh, if they were perfectly calm, I wouldn't know any better. I'd just be like, okay, yeah, whatever, this is how it's supposed to go, they got this. No, they're, they're like losing their minds, they're praying to all their own gods, they're doing all sorts of stuff. So as this terrifying, these terrifying things are happening, they're losing their minds, what's Jonah doing? <sighs> but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep and soft and nice and restful sleep, something that us parents know nothing of. And here's a clue about how to understand the story. Whatever the right thing to do is, Jonah's going to do the opposite. Whatever you would expect to happen, everybody's freaking out, Jonah's not. The sailors start praying, Jonah's not. They're trying to solve the problem, he doesn't care. He's still asleep down low. If there's one thing you can trust Jonah to do, it's the wrong thing every single time until he has to do the right thing, until he faces no other option. So these irreligious sailors, they're finding God. Meanwhile, the prophet of God is like running away as almost literally as he can. He's going as far as he can from this. He is an anti-prophet, if you want to know what Jonah, what genre to read this as. So without any options remaining, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and he will not, and that we will not perish. Now, the, again, the pagans, these bad guys, these, these guys that are irreligious, they're pushing Jonah back to God. They're trying to get him to go back and return to the whole thing that started just a few verses earlier. 
But even though they, even when they know the fact that Jonah is the problem, they don't really want to do what they have to. See, they're like, okay, what's the problem here? They go down to Jonah. He, he seems to have an idea of what's going on here. So they draw lots and they cast these lots and they pull out and they say, oh, it says that Jonah is the one that has the, the that has messed all this stuff up. So they said, who are you? What's going on here? What did you do? Verse nine, he answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Stop right there. You worship the God who made the sea and the dry land and you decided to run from him on the sea? Are you dumb? This terrified them. They asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Now imagine this. You show up at work, that foul-mouthed person who's always angry, arrogant, and half hung over most of the time, shows up to you and says, in all seriousness, tomorrow morning, hey, did you follow the Lord's guidance in your life this week? Did you listen to the, the promptings of the Holy Spirit? You'd look at them and you'd say, who are you? What? How, how dare you? You might even be offended. How dare you? Like, you don't know my faith, do you? I mean, even if you do, like, look at your life. Why are, you, why are you asking me these questions, right? And that's effectively what's happening here. These sailors, these guys have nothing to do with Jonah's faith, with nothing to do with his country of origin, with his ethnicity, with his people, nothing. And they're the ones that are like, Jonah, did you, did you, have you, like, gone the wrong direction from your God? What we see is this. We see that God is willing to use anyone and anything to draw people back to him. He's willing to use anyone and anything to draw them back to him. Doesn't matter who. So meanwhile, the sea is getting rougher and rougher, so they ask him, what should we do? Uh, what, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? How do we fix this? If you are the one that's the cause of this, surely you have an idea of what the solution may be. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now this is certain death for Jonah, but he's okay with that. He would rather die than see the Assyrians turn to his God. You wanna know what level of hatred and vitriol he holds in his heart for these people who are not him? So, these non-God worshipers, you would think, might just say, well, okay, pick him up and throw him over. But they know because they cast lots. They know because they asked him, and then they know what to do because Jonah says, throw me over. But they know what the right thing to do is. They know who is guilty and what the right thing to do is because he just told them there, yet they still hesitate. They, they try to get on the oars, and they try to row and take control of the ship, and it fails miserably. And so they're hesitant every step of the way. They, it, it, what this shows, they actually value Jonah's life more than he values his own life. He wants to keep running. They want to do what's right in this situation. They say, no, that can't be the best solution. They try some stuff. It doesn't work. Verse 14, then this is huge. They cried out to the Lord. These are the sailors. They cry out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. 
Think about this. Just a few minutes ago, they're just sailors, probably cursing up, talking about all the things, drinking the rum and all the stuff that they do. I don't know. The next moment, they're crying out to their pagan gods. The next moment, they are praying to God. And then you'll see even later on in the chapter, they're making sacrifices to God. They become full-fledged believers in God. So you see, if you're going to put a trajectory out there, the sailors are going just up and to the right. Things are going really well for them when it comes to their faith. They're making good choices here. Meanwhile, what's happening with Jonah? He's going the opposite direction, isn't he? Every single time he has a chance to make the right decision, he chooses the opposite. Now let's not forget who Jonah is. He is this guy that thinks and is convinced that God only cares about the people that are inside of his tribe. He only cares about expanding their boundaries. He does not care about people outside of him. And because he does not care, he puts forth no effort. But even in that, God shows what kind of God he is. Not as a God of just one man and one people, one faith, But when God says, these are my people, who does he mean? Well, he means something much bigger, doesn't he? Because here we find the sailors, the sailors turning to him. It asks that question, and this is one of the things I think we get led into as we try to understand the book of Jonah today. What kind of God is it that we worship? What, What does God want of us? Is it just about us that show up on Sunday mornings or tune in online or sit in the family room? Or is, is any of us good religious folk that are here? Is this what it's about? Or is it about the people who are not here? The people who you might find difficult to love. The ones that you might not like, not even a little bit. And to show them the love and mercy of God. God's love is not something that we wield and we give to some and others we take away. What we find from something like this is that God's love is for all people at all time, no matter what. And if that's the kind of God we worship, then that changes the way we live, right? In fact, that should change the way that we even do church, that if this is the, kind, if this is the way that God is, if even the Assyrians are something, then yeah, I have a feeling that For us, too, as a church, we have something to learn from this because so easy and so often it's it's just simple for us to say, oh, it's about me and it's about my preferences, about what I want in all things without taking into account what somebody else might want. Time and again, you see this theme repeated. This is what Jesus' ministry was basically all about. This is what the early church did in the book of Acts. This is what the church did throughout history it's always bringing the people, bringing the least of these, bringing the outsiders in and showing them the love of God. And when you have experienced that, when your life has been transformed by that, you cannot help go, but go back out and say, wow, this is a wonderful God. This is the kind of God that I want to serve. So again, we find this God bringing people back to him. We, in, in this story of Jonah, it's this question that gets begged and begged and begged, who are God's people? And when that question gets asked a certain number of times, you have to just stop and say, well, who are God's people then? If, if God says, go and, and serve my people and go and help my people, well, who are God's people? Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 10. It's this story of the Good Samaritan. You might have heard of it. It's another one of those big ones. 
There's this man who's lying beaten and almost dead. Robbers came by and took his stuff and beat him up and left him for nothing. Of course, the religious people pass by one, two, three, uh, and they don't help him out at all. And then the most unexpected ethnic and religious outsider comes by, a Samaritan. A Samaritan looks at this man and picks him up and takes him to a place where he can get nursed and brought back to health. That man gets better. We like that story, help others. But we often forget why that story was told in the first place. The story was told because there's a teacher of the law who asked Jesus this. He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to take care of? So Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. At the end of the story, he asks that man, he comes back to him. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor of the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Which one of these people, the two religious folk or the Samaritan, which one do you think was the neighbor? The answer is pretty obvious. The expert of law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jonah lived his life believing that you had to be a particular kind of person. And if you were not a particular kind of person, you might as well die. Jonah would have been one of those guys that walks right on by in Jesus' story. Jonah's one of those guys that think that God is something to be weaponized, that God's love exists for some and not for others. Jonah's one of those guys that gets confused with the message and starts thinking that his narrow view of God is the total view of who God is. But what we find is that God's grace is not limited to any particular person, any number of people, or one group. That God's grace is sufficient, and there's no one that is too far from God's grace. There's no one. Every single person is well within reach of God. Yes, even these crazy Assyrians. Yes, even the ancient Egyptians, Jonah. Yes, even people in your life people in my life, people that you look at and say, there's no way. Oh, with God, if you believe in the resurrection, then you believe in hope. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what God's doing in your life, what brings you in. But I know this, that there's hope. And you can have that hope. This is what God invites us into every single moment of every single day. And if you know this peace, then you know how, much, how important that is, that that is the center of who we are. It's what we gather together. It's why we celebrate. It's why we sing songs. It's why we uh, praise God, because we know what God has done for us, and we're expecting about what God will do for us on into the future. But with this, we look at our past and we think, surely I've done too many bad things. Or you might even look at your present and say, I'm just caught up in too much bad stuff that God doesn't like me. You might even think about your future of there's plans to do some stuff that you know is not quite right. But what we have is we have a God who is with us and for us. We have a God who has gone behind us, remains with us, and looks out ahead of us together. And that God is the God that we trust. And so if that's you today, I just want to encourage you two things. One, take that step in your faith, whatever that looks like. Maybe it means saying yes to Jesus for the first time. 
You're saying, okay, you know what? I'm actually putting the marker down. I'm gonna say yes to Jesus. I wanna actually follow him. I wanna get baptized. I wanna make this real right now. Fantastic. Let's start that story. Here's the second part uh, that, that I want you to do is walk on that journey together. You cannot do that alone. This is not the story of one person, of one thing. No, no, no. Your story is a part of our story. So we're going to have prayer partners right up here as soon as service ends. We're going to sing a song, and then after that, uh, when we dismiss, everybody's going to walk out. I just want to invite you. Come on up. Share what's going on in life. Let us pray for you. Let us share that burden and help you as you go on this journey. Here's the question I want to haunt us, though. What kind of church is God asking us to be? What kind of church is God asking us to be? Is God asking us to be the kind of church that says, ah, yes, look at us, let's expand our territory. Is there any more acreage that we can purchase here? Ah, does everybody look like us, act like us? Okay, yes. Everybody drive the same car, wear the same outfits. Hmm. Is that what God's calling us to? Or is God calling us to say, I want you to be the most messed up, misfit-looking weirdos in all of Scottsdale. My money's on the ladder, all right? I want us to be a bunch of messed up. And some of you guys are really helping us out in that. So thank you so much. I appreciate that more than you could ever imagine. Uh, What do we want this church to be known as? There's something that happened this week that was really cool and uh, got me excited because it's like one of the first times and that you see like, yes, this is what we're trying to do as a church. Uh, there's a school just started right over here, school's right there, and uh, as school just started, the uh, uh, family that's brand new, brand new to the area, they don't know much, they're, they're just kind of starting to check things out, and, and the father of one of the kids, he goes and gets his hair cut, and he, as he's getting his hair cut, his stylist is saying, oh, you're new to the area, oh, where are your kids going to school, oh, they go to Chaparral Christian Church over there at the school, and she's like, Chaparral, those people are the nicest people I've ever met. They, when, when she was, pre- yeah, you were scared there for a second, weren't you? Uh, the, 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 when I was pregnant and had my, had my baby, uh, they didn't even know me and they just showed up with a meal. And I would totally go there if I could drag my husband to church. And I thought, yes, that's what I want us to be known for, right? So first, Good job! Like, this is what it's about. Like, casseroles are pretty powerful things, aren't they? Like, just show up sometimes and that counts. Uh, In that situation, I look at that and I say, good, good. I don't care if people, oh, the preaching's the best or the music's the best or the building, I don't, whatever the stuff. I really don't care about any of that. I want people to know us by our love. That's what Jesus says that people should know us by is by our love. And sometimes casseroles will suffice. Yes, uh, that's how it works. But here's the other side of that. If we are not a church that is here to help young couples like that, old couples like that, middle singles like that, if we're not a church that is here thinking about how can we be a place that helps him and helps her and helps their young family come to know Jesus, then what are we doing? What are we doing? Sitting in the belly of a fish, throwing a fit, no God, I don't wanna do it that way. What are we doing? We're just wasting our time. And to be honest, we're wasting God's time. We're not here to play church, we're here to be the church. Right? 
And so when I look at this stuff and and I think through something like the book of Jonah and I think through the way that this impacts our life and what God wants to say to us as a church, I think we have to go. We have to find our friends and our neighbors and we have to say, how can we serve you? And man, there are so many ways. There are so many ways. And when you do that, here's what I know. The impact is going to go so much greater than you could possibly imagine. When you bring that meal over, you don't know what that means to somebody. When you show up, when you pray for somebody, you don't know what that means. And it's easy to think that it's just a drop in an ocean of, uh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe this is important, maybe it isn't. You don't know what God's going to do with that, do you? So step up. Be the kind of people, be the kind of church that God has asked us to be. Don't be like Jonah. Don't run the other direction. Because we firmly believe that there is no one that is too far from God's grace. The sailors, they found this out as they uh, became followers of God, of the God of Jonah. They did as Jonah asked in verse 15. They took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. Sea calms down. The sailors calm down. Jonah feels his body enter into the water. And he lets go. This is it. He'd rather choose death over obedience. And then something really unexpected happens. Verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Father, would you show us how to not be fixated upon ourselves, 